0: Good morning. Good Good to see you guys. What an exciting day, huh? Yeah. I remember way back when, when I graduated, it was like, barely, it was barely for me. I'm not kidding too. It was not good. Not the A plan. Thank God he has a B plan, right? Because the way things went well, I did a roundabout kind of a thing. I, I, did, I didn't do anything very straight or, or necessarily well. So welcome this morning. If you're new, you're joining us because you have a graduate or, or someone that you're here celebrating with, we are thankful that you're here this morning. If you're new, again, we're uh, grateful for that. If you're new online with us, we're, we're thankful that you've joined us online as well. And, and we hope that you might be looking for a church home, and if so, that you might find one here. And if you don't find one here, we do pray that you would find one within... The uh, community here of Sheridan. we are blessed to have a number of great churches, a number of pastors that meet regularly on a weekly basis that uh, love each other, that care about each other, that really do truly want to see one another's congregations and churches flourish and thrive. So we just hope that you'll find a home at a church and you will plug in and begin to serve there. Again, if that would be here, we would be so blessed. All right, so... Uh, the, 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 the topic this morning is this idea of an anchor watch. And Ben, I'm sure, could tell you about an anchor watch or anybody who's been in the Navy. And, and an anchor watch is, is simply a maritime uh, kind of a practice to where you make sure that you're not adrift at night, that the anchor has been set and that it is holding and that there's not drift. An anchor watch is particularly gonna be an important thing in times of storms and at night. And so an anchor watch requires... Staking awake, it requires vigilance even in the dark times uh, to make sure that you don't go adrift. So James talks about this, or look. Well, let's look first. Hebrews uh, six nineteen through twenty says this. It says we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that endures into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek, and so an anchor was one of the earliest Christian symbols um, of the of the church, was this this the the idea of an anchor and a place of uh, a place to be able to dally up to, kind of, if you're a rancher or or or, or to anchor up, a place of solid ground, a place to where we won't be uh, tossed around. The book of James talks about what it looks like to to not necessarily have an anchor in our lives to. To, to find uh, ourselves tossed to and fro. And James, right before this, actually says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all, and it will be given him. And it will be given without reproach. God stands ready to give wisdom to us, but it says then this, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And so we all have a belief system. Everyone in the world believes something and they all believe it by faith. Even the atheist lives by faith. Now his faith may be a faith that's directed in the, the, uh, with the idea or the, the ideology that there is no God, but nonetheless, the atheist even lives by faith. And, and so the reality of our faith and our belief is that it's driving our lives somewhere. That each and every one of us uh, what we believe dictates our actions and our actions begin to, to form and, and develop our future, our destiny somewhat, if you will. Um, and, and, and so for all of us, we're, we're living in a world of a very turbulent time. It's incredibly important to have something solid that you can anchor up to. It's important in the times of trial, in the storms of life, in, in the night or the times of darkness, that we have something that's solid that we can go to. And we have that in Christ. And so let's get into the text here a little bit. And what we're gonna be looking at this morning, and it's not gonna come up on here, so you're either gonna have to turn your Bible on, or you're gonna have to reach in the pew in front of you um, and grab one out of there, or open your own Bible, whatever that looks like for you this morning. We are in 2 Timothy, chapter three, starting in verse 12. And we're gonna go all the way through chapter four, verse five. This morning. So if you open that up and, and look into that, we want to look at this. We want to understand what, it, what does it look like to, to have something to hold fast to? What does it look like to, to not be tossed around by, by every single thing? See, we're living in a world with a lot of opinion, with a lot of noise, with a lot of thought out there, and we're going to want to have something that we can anchor up to. So this thing starts off, and it starts out in a little bit of a difficult manner. It says this. It says, indeed, all who desire to live godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we start off on that really great note. Aren't you glad you came this morning, right? Aren't you glad that it's your deep desire to follow Jesus today, and that we're told that if you do that, and you do that in reality, that, that you will face persecution in this life. Now, persecution takes a variety of forms. Um, Mostly for us, it looks like being willing to to look foolish, to be kind of, um, to have your opinion or your thought kind of just viewed as being antiquated or not valid or not relevant to the times anymore. Some places it looks like literally you could lose your life. Sometimes persecution around the world For some believers and for some people in the church around the world, they literally put their life on the line and they face persecution that that literally has their life at stake. It doesn't say you might. It doesn't say you could. It doesn't say there's a small chance. It says you will suffer persecution if in your life you choose to follow Jesus with all of your being. If you choose to make him first. And the reality of our lives and my life and your life is that we talk about what's important to us, don't we? We speak about it. It comes out of our mouth. If you're into cars, you talk about cars. If you like hunting, you talk about hunting. If you like fishing, you talk about fishing. If you love Jesus, you speak about Jesus. And if we speak about Jesus, there's this reality. And one thing I love about the Bible is it always prepares us for the reality of the life and the world around us. And it says you're going to get persecuted if you do that that people will look down on you. And you have to be willing to have that happen to you if you're gonna live into this faith. But real persecution is this, real persecution is when your life is exhibiting the fruit of the spirits, things like love, peace, patience, kindness, joy, self-control, goodness, not in that order, But um, when your life is exhibiting those things and people still hate you, that's when you're being persecuted. That's a reality of persecution. Um, Persecution isn't going out and being a jerk and saying you're doing it in the name of Jesus. It's not about going out and being a jerk to people. It's not going out and being hateful to people or judgmental or coming against everybody. That's not persecution. That's just plain out being a jerk and, and that doesn't really qualify. But persecution really is a barometer, too, in our own lives. If we're not experiencing that, if we haven't experienced that, then what's the reality of our walk? If we we said, if if the Bible tells us that we will face it if we live a life in Christ and we don't ever face it, well, then what's that telling us? Could be um, a little message in that. Verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So there's this reality of just of deception in our world. There's a reality, the Bible's very clear. It says that there's truth and there's deception. And, and this is really how the, the law of the universe really works out around us. Gravity's either true or it's not. It, it doesn't include, it's not inclusive, it's exclusive to gravity, right? And, and, and gravity, though, is inclusive that gravity applies equally to all of us. And so we live in, a, we live in a, a universe that's governed by truth, and we live in a world that is deceived. This is the plain message of the Bible, is that we, we live in a deception, that the, that the world, and, and so as you go out into this world, I'm, I'm going to encourage you to, A, do a lot of things, and I want you to always ask the question, is it really true? As young people going out and into the world, you're gonna to have to learn how to think, how to think for yourselves, how you're gonna to have to learn and personalize your faith. Your faith has to become your faith. It's not gonna be the faith of your parents or, or of your church or, or of your childhood. If it's gonna be effective and a reality in your life, it's gonna to have to be your own authentic, personalized faith. You're gonna to have to challenge the things of the world and you're gonna see that the things of the world come true around you. You're gonna see the deception that the world lives in. And it's gonna be really difficult to not be caught up in the deceptions of the world. The ideas of what brings identity, what brings meaning, what brings purpose, where we're going, destiny. All of these things are challenged by the world around us. Biblical thought and and God's word challenges our own hearts. It challenges us with who we are and what we we are about. And it doesn't really always agree with who I wanna be or what I want to do. So the world lives in deception, but the Bible also tells us this, it tells us that lost people do lost things. That if the world is living in deception, then don't expect them to act like they know Jesus and that they come to church on Sundays, right? Don't have that expectation over people. Know that that people are going to do lost things. That hurting people hurt people. This is a reality, right? And so when we get real with that and we understand that we're talking about a world that's living in deception, that we can hopefully be compassionate, that we can be full of grace, that we can be kind and we can be loving because we understand that people sometimes that we're dealing with just don't get it. But then it goes on and it says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. As for you, set your anchor, keep watch, stay vigilant, make sure you're not drifting, make sure you're not being caught up in the deception and the things of this world. Don't concern yourself with everybody else, what everyone else is doing. But as for you, what are you doing? What are you following? What are you pursuing in your life? There is so much noise in this world. We're in a place where there's never been as much information coming our ways as there, ever, as there is now. And we even question, and we live in a culture that said that truth doesn't even exist, and we live in a world where we begin to wonder, can we even trust anything as being true because of the, all of the voices. <clears throat> Be careful of what voices you're letting into your head. Be careful of, of where you're at, but it's as for you See, one thing about the Bible is it doesn't teach um, a victim mentality. It doesn't say that we're supposed to be a people who go, wow, if everybody else out here would get it right, then we could live in a better place and a better, better world and it would just be all the better. No, actually God calls his own people to repent, to pray, to turn away from our wicked ways. And then it says, then he will move. But as for you, what are we doing? Who are we as the church? What are we doing? What voices are we allowing into our heads? And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Some of you got to be raised in the church and that's a great blessing. You got raised by parents who, who love Jesus and who have taught you scripture and who have taught you all of these things, and have passed on really a legacy of faith, which is the greatest legacy that you one day can pass on to your own children, is a legacy of faith, something to anchor up to, a place to be. But it's going to have to become yours again. You've been raised with this, and you've been raised in the knowledge of much of this, but it has to become personal for you. It has to become real to you. All scripture, it goes on to say, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, and for correction. It says that scripture is breathed out by God. That the very God who breathed the universe into existence also breathed out a directory and directions for how to live our lives. And this isn't supposed to be a burden to us, it's supposed to, it's supposed to bless us, it's supposed to be for our freedom and for our goodness. We're supposed to recognize where it came from that this has come from a good and a gracious God who is incredibly interested in your freedom and in your life and in the purposes and the plans that He's purposed for you. It's a gift, it's a guide, so that you and I might live with real purpose. But it goes on and it looks like that. It talks about these things. It says that it's good for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. In other words, it challenges me. When I get into God's word and I compare my own life against God's word, I tend to see how far short I fall of God's standards and what he's calling us to. But it doesn't leave us in that. God's God's conviction and when when God brings conviction to us, it doesn't destroy us, It, it just hopefully it motivates us to begin to recognize that there's a need and there's an importance and and there's real purpose out there to live for. There's real brokenness and there's real darkness in this world. There's really people who are struggling. And you see, we can allow ourselves just to be so consumed by our own stuff and building our own kingdom and that we don't think about that. And we get lost in that. But I'm going to tell you, if you start to put your toe into that world, you'll see how dark it is. You'll see how within Sheridan, this beautiful community that we live in, you'll see the degree of brokenness and heartache and hardship that there is out there. You'll see the lostness that there is out there. And you'll understand, too, that God has you there, that wherever you find yourself in the future, you're there by his divine purpose, and that he has plans for you while you're there. He has good things to participate in. But there are times where God's word challenges us and it it helps us to do a course correction. Always remember if you get off course that we serve a good and loving God who is gracious, who will run to you when you desire to come back to him, to turn back to him and to look to him and and to just recognize. And I'm gonna tell you that you're probably all gonna go there to some degrees. We'll all go there. Hopefully not. But if you do, I want you to know that God is good and that his plans for you are all about forward movement, always about forward movement. When the prodigal son or the lost son returned back to his father, if you read this story in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, you'll see something interesting. The father never visits the past. He never visits the past with the son. He just moves forward. He moves forward in the plans that he has for him. Remember that. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction. It's a course correction. For our goodness, we all need that. And for training in righteousness. Man, training, not always fun, right? But the results are good. We like the results. We don't always like the discipline that it takes to train. We don't always like what it looks like to train, but it's good, and it's worth doing. And so this is for God's word, it says that it trains us in what righteousness is. And what does righteousness mean? It means a life apart from regret. It means that we don't look back on our lives later and say, man, I wish I woulda, coulda, shoulda."s Not that we won't have some, but we'll have a whole lot less if we're in here and we're living by this and we're allowing God's work to do what it does in our hearts. Because God transforms our hearts. He changes us. See, we're not just talking about making us into a people who are good at following rules. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a new creation. I'm talking about a renewed mind. I'm talking about a mind that's in agreement with the will of God and one that has, where our feet are moving in the direction that he would have us to move. I'm talking about real identity, real meaning, and real purpose in this world. Let his word sink into you so that his work might come out of you. Because it says that the man or the woman of God, that they may be complete and equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, remember who you serve. This is who we're talking about. We're talking about the king of the universe. We're talking about the creator of all things. We're talking about the one who holds every molecule, every atom together. And if he ceased to do so for even a millisecond, it would all explode away, away from, and and there would just, it would be gone. It would be over. This is the God that we serve. And this is the God who is saying, I want you to think about this. He's the God who judges both the living and the dead. He is the one who holds all power, and he is the one in whom all righteousness exists by his appearing and his kingdom. And then it goes on to say this, it says, preach the word, be a herald, make it important in your heart so that it might come out of your lips. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? I think it means always, right? If you're a hunter or a fisherman or an outdoorsman or you like a certain sport, right, sports, it's either in season or it's out of season. When it's in season, it's go time, right? When it's out of season, it's preparation time. You're usually just thinking about it, right? Getting ready for it, making plans for it, getting ready for the season. This is what it is to be out of season. It means we're always ready. It means when it's not happening right in front of you today, you don't see it today, you're getting ready for it to happen tomorrow and we're trusting that God is gonna have it to happen tomorrow, that God is gonna set us forth with meaningful work, with purposeful work. But it means maybe just spending time with him in the out of season so that when it's go time, it's go time and you're ready. But it's about preparedness, it's about being ready to go. And then it goes on to say reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Reprove, let it be seen for what it is. Illuminate it. Show it. Rebuke. Gosh, that's a tough one for Christians, isn't it? We don't like that idea of rebuking. Kind of a sharp speech against behavior or something. We struggle with that, right? And every unbeliever out there in the world knows one verse by heart. Do you know what it is? Judge not, lest you be judged. (laughs) Right? And we struggle as Christians. We're like, well, gosh, I could... never say anything about that because the Bible says, judge not or you'll be judged. Well, I just want to tell you that that's not the kind of judgment that we're talking about. What we're talking about, when we say to someone lovingly, because we care about them, that some of their behavior isn't blessing them and that it's not going to bless them and that it's going to prove to be difficult in their life and bring difficulties in them into their lives, that's love. That's not judgment. Judgment is when we assign worth to them according to their deeds and what they're doing. When we say, you are worthless because of this, that's the kind of judgment that's above our pay grade. That's the kind of judgment that only Jesus can rightly do. But we're not called to that. We're called to to do this. We're called to speak out truth and love. We're supposed to tell people at times, because we care about them, that maybe what they're doing isn't going to bless them and then to exhort them to encourage right it's not just about the this is what too, too many christians are too good about the rebuking coming against talking about and not so good about the encouragement if you're going to come against if you're going to come against somebody in not, that's a bad way to say it if you're going to speak into somebody's life and tell them that what they're doing isn't maybe okay or isn't going to bless them then you better be ready to be there to encourage them and to walk with them and to be inconvenienced by them through what will bless them and will encourage them. You need to be an encourager, not just a rebuker. Do this with complete patience in teaching. Understanding that everybody's, we're all on a journey. And maybe somebody that you're encouraging might need continuous encouraging. It may not just be a one and done kind of a thing. You may walk with them for a long time before you see a breakthrough or a change in their life. But it's worth it, it's good work. We tend to write people off way too quick. And then it goes on to say this, for the time is coming when the people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. The time is coming and is probably here always been the time. But Paul is talking about an interesting time in which it it compounds, it multiplies, that people will not want to hear what God's truth is, that God's truth will be rejected on a greater plane even than what it normally is, and that people will accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions. They'll listen to people who always agree with them and tell them exactly what they want to hear. Never do that. Another point, don't ever surround yourself with just people who are gonna agree with you. It's a dangerous place to be. Surround yourself with, by people that you know will challenge you in what you believe. People who will hold you accountable, people who will encourage you, people who will say, look, the bar's up here, let's jump it, and if you can't jump it, they're not gonna say, well, let's just lower it a little bit. No, people will say, come on, take another few steps back and jump this bar. These are the people that you wanna surround yourself with. Um, Surrounding ourselves with only those who will agree with us is dangerous. Listening to only what pleases you will lead you away from the truth. They will turn away from the truth and wander off into myths, it says. But then again, as for you, not about what they're doing, what are you doing? What am I doing? What are we doing as believers? As for you, The attention, again, back to the church, back to believers, not on the world around us, not blaming everybody around us for what's going on, but taking accountability for our own selves, for our own lives, for our own lack of shining the light into a dark world, for our own lack of spreading the gospel, for our own lack of discipleship, for our own lack of commitment to church and to community and to the things around us that God has told us to hold as important and recognize that in these things is our calling while we're here. As for you, always be sober-minded, right? Don't let your thinking be impaired. Don't allow something to come in that is gonna change your, your thinking and produce in you an altered reality. That's what drunkenness does, right? We get drunk, we allow an influence to come into our lives that's outside of us, and it changes the reality or the state in which we live, and we live in an altered state right? Which, which, you college kids will never see any of that, so that's for other people. <laughs> no, it means to be sober-minded, to not allow ourselves to be taken away, to not be impaired in our thinking. As for you, be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Man, now you're doubly glad you came today, Right? You will be persecuted and suffer or endure suffering. That's a tough one. The church, God's people, are going to have to learn how to suffer well. If you don't learn how to suffer for the name of Christ because you will be persecuted if you live a life in Christ, then you'll either reject the faith or you'll live a faith that is completely void of any of the purpose that it's meant to have, which is to get out into the world because you'll just live it quietly and in your own little world. You have to be ready to suffer for the faith. And we have to also recognize that there's a power in suffering that God uses. That God didn't use the power of an army to change the world, to save the world. He used the suffering of his son. Jesus allowed himself to suffer so that we might have life. For the joy set before him, he endured the suffering of the cross. What was the joy set before him? It was you and me, and a lost and broken world around that would have the opportunity to have their relationship restored to a holy and righteous God. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. What's an evangelist? They speak God's word. They speak the goodness of the gospel, the good news, right? It's the good news that that God has come, and that he's made a way. Do the work of an evangelist. Help people in their spiritual journey. Help people in their spiritual journey. You'll find great satisfaction in that. You'll find meaning and purpose beyond the things of this world. Be ready to do the work of an evangelist. Speak truth and love to people and help people on their way. And then finally, it says fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. What does that mean? That means that God has a ministry for you. That all you guys who are off and headed to college and headed to different things, as you're doing that, that God has a ministry for you. Exactly where you find yourself, there will be um, God's hand in that. And if you put all things into God's hand, you'll see God's hand in all things. But God has a ministry for you. And the greatest thing that you can do, and all of us can do, is to fulfill that ministry. And it doesn't matter what we do as a vocation, It doesn't matter what our social circle is. What matters is the ministry. It doesn't matter our status, our position, our bank account, what car we drive, how big our house is, all of the things that we get caught up in. What really matters in this world is if you fulfill your ministry. If you do the things that God is calling you to do and all of the things that you have and all of the talents that you have and all of the smarts that you guys have and the skills that you have and all of the giftings that you have are all meant for us to as we go, as we leave this building, to take into our unique places, the places that God has called you to, whether it be school, or work, or Walmart, or wherever you are, to have the idea and the mindset that we're sober-minded, that we're willing to suffer, that we're doing the work of of an evangelist, and that we are fulfilling the great work that God has for you. I'm gonna tell you, if you leave that out of your life, you won't be fulfilled. I don't care how great a job you land, I don't care how much money you make, you'll find yourself with a void in your life, wondering what life is really about. It happens time and time and time again. In a culture and in a world that values youth, beauty, status, fame, finances, let's just look to the celebrities and then let's ask ourselves the honest question, If that's the truth, if that's what life is about, and if they're the best example that we could see of people who have attained it, then would we say that they completely find a life of peace and fulfillment? I would say no. I I would say that we see an incredible amount of struggle there, an incredible amount of something's missing. Don't leave something missing out of your life. Don't go and fulfill all of the things of this temporal world. Don't... As you pursue them, they're important. Don't get me wrong, your job, what you do is important and it's good. But don't forsake your ministry in the midst of it. It's part of your ministry. What you're doing, where you're going as you go is part of your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. It's the highest calling on your life. It's the greatest thing to live for. It will provide you with the most meaning and satisfaction than anything else will. It will will bring meaning, And it will bring um, appreciation and love even for the things that you do. It'll bring a right perspective into those things. Don't miss the ministry. Don't miss the good things, the important things to where with the end of our lives, we can look back and say, you know what, I lived it for good things. I lived it for things that are gonna go on with me when I exit out of here. Real quick before we... uh, Pray. I just want to plug. Next week we're starting our summer series, which is Psalm one nineteen, which is all about God's Word. Every single thing about it is gonna be about God's word, and it's gonna be about God's word, and it's gonna be about God's word. And when you come the next Sunday, it's gonna be about God's word, and it's gonna be about his word, and we're gonna listen to his word. All the way into the middle of August. It's the longest chapter of the Bible. It's a fantastic psalm. I'm encouraging you to to Come, and remember we have a six o'clock service, so when you're out camping, and you get home Sunday early afternoon, you can take a nap and come to church six o'clock right here. Still make church, still not miss anything, and uh, we would love to have you. Bring somebody with you too. Fulfill your ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. Bring somebody with you into this place. That's how this place fills up. That's how it prospers. Okay, Lord, thank you for this day. We thank you for our graduates. We would pay, pray all of your blessing over them, all of the good plans that you have for them. Lord, we pray that they would find each and every one of them. We pray, Lord, that they would be ready in season and out of season, that they would, that they would value your word, that their faith would become their own, that it would personalize, that, that it would be infused out into the world around them, that wherever they find themselves and wherever they go, that they would be quick to speak of the hope, that they would be heralds, that that were they run across other people who are struggling, who are in times of darkness, that they would know, and they would be quick to speak of the truth and the hope and the light that's within them. So, Lord, we just uh, we pray that over them. We pray against just the schemes of the enemy. We pray against the deceptions of this world, Lord. We pray that each one would learn to really just be a critical thinker. Each one would challenge everything with the idea of that is really is that really true. I pray, Lord, that they would test even their own faith and that they would look and they would see it as reliable and worth um, holding on to. And Lord, we just pray over those who have been lost in every battle, Lord, that, that has been fought in this world, every difficult thing, every broken heart and family that's, that's uh, been touched by that, Lord. We wanna remember the, those who have went before us who gave their lives um, for their country and for their belief and for their cause. Um, Lord, we pray your comfort over each one. And Lord, I just pray over the whole of us, over the church, that we would be the church, that we would rise up, that we would speak in love to the world around us, that we would love well, that we would represent you well, that we would all do the things that you've called us to do, both individually and that this church, too, would meet the calling that you have for us in this community right here where we live in Sheridan. And we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen.